So, uh, sometime between 60 and 62 AD, Paul wrote this letter uh, from prison in Rome to the believers in Ephesus. Now, two of the oldest manuscripts omit the words in Ephesus that we're going to see here in a minute, although they stand in most manuscripts. So many scholars think that this was a circular letter written to churches in several places in that particular region, uh, the church at Ephesus being the most prominent. Now, Ephesus is located in what's now modern-day western Turkey, and it was a busy port back in those days. It was the fourth or fifth largest city uh, in the world, and Paul uh, had almost eight years ago spent three years, almost three years there in ministry. Okay, so, so he was very connected to that region. And when we look at Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians emphasize doctrine, and the last three emphasize behavior. Okay, so, so the first half is theological, uh, the second half is practical. Okay, now both are important, all right? Uh, but let's pick up here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay. Now, Paul introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, This is really important. Uh, sometimes this term, uh, apostle, is used in a non-technical sense, but more often than not, it's used in a technical way, referring to those whom the risen Christ has called and commissioned. So Jesus gave him this authority. Paul says he was an apostle by God's will. So Jesus has given him this authority by the will of God. And this is important, not so that he can say, hey, look at me, but so that he can say, like, like this, is, this, is, um, this is my backing. This is where this comes from. And, and it's important to know that, that and, he, and he shares, this is from God. I didn't choose this. No one else chose this for me. In fact, remember his story. Paul was actually uh, a persecutor of the church. And, and so we see that God sovereignly intervened in his life. And he says, listen, God has hand-selected me to be the apostle to bring you this message. And so you should listen up. And he's writing this to, to what he calls they are saints, right? Now, now, a saint is one set apart called to be used by God. They are also called faithful. So uh, it's not about simply having faith, but about the responsiveness built into our faith. Okay, so that, so that they, they are saints, they have been set apart by God, and they are believing. They are acting out in their faith. And then he says, grace to you and peace, which was a common greeting in the early church. You'll see that uh, throughout many of the New Testament letters. Now the source of the grace and peace is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now those are not separate sources, but two manifestations of the same source. And peace always comes after receiving grace, doesn't it? We see that all throughout Scripture, right? 
that, that as we receive grace, this incredible grace that God freely offers to us, as we receive that, a byproduct of receiving his grace is peace. And he says, grace and peace to you. And it's important to see as, as we go into uh, verse 3, verse, actually verses 3 through 14, now we're going to cut off at 6, but verses 3 through 14 are, are all in the Greek one long sentence filled with worship, 202 words, one sentence, didn't put a period in there. Okay, uh, one writer stated that this is the most monstrous sentence conglomeration that I have ever found in the Greek language. <laughs> so following this, this greeting, uh, Paul lifts his voice in praise. So what we're talking about in, in, in verse 3 here, he immediately goes into this praise. And that's the focus here that we're talking about this morning, this incredible praise to God. It says the blessed one is God because no one is truly good but God. And the one who is uh, not only to be blessed is himself the blesser. Okay, so, so it is he, it is God who has blessed us. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. What, what does it say? He's blessed us with Christ in every spiritual blessing. Did you see that? Like you can't just read Ephesians and go, oh, that's cool. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And, and when we look at this in the New Testament, the word spiritual is always used in relation to the work of the Holy Spirit. But have you ever noticed, when we read something like this, have you ever noticed that we continually ask God for things he's already given to us? Have you ever noticed that? Like, like we're like, God, I pray that you would give me love. Give me that ability, God. And then he's like, well, Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God, I pray for peace. Give me peace. Well, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Okay, but God, I need happiness. You got to bring happiness into my life, God. I pray for that. He says, well, John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God's strength. Give me that strength. I need your strength. Well, Philippians 4, 13, <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, so we, we look at this and we really need to remember, we really need to remember what he said in 2 Peter uh, 1-3, where it says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's huge. It's not can he, right? It's not will he. It's what he's already done for us. Like he has blessed us already with every spiritual blessing. We are complete in him. It's not about us receiving more. It's about us doing more with what he's already given to us. And this is what blows my mind. It's literally, he's like, I've already given you everything you need. And then he says, these abundant, unlimited blessings from God are what? It says, in the heavenly places. That's cool. 
We see this expression in the heavenly places five times in the book of Ephesians. The heavenly places encompasses the entire supernatural realm of God, his entire domain. As Jesus' followers, we remain on earth, but in Christ, our primary citizenship is in heaven. You know, Philippians 3.20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, just like if you go and travel to another country, right, you go to that country, in fact, you can work in that country, you can do, uh, you can explore and do all these things, uh, but your citizenship is still the U.S. of A., Right? And so we are here on the, in this earth, uh, walking around, but our primary citizenship as a follower of Jesus is not on this earth. Our primary citizenship is in heaven where our Father is. And he says he has blessed us with every spiritual gifting that includes all of that. Right now. Like right now. Why do you think Paul is like now caught up in praise? He's saying this. He's listing this. And, and so uh, this incredible truth in, in Christ we see. This is all in Christ, right? And this is one of the key expressions in Ephesians. It's the title of our series. When a person is converted, God no longer looks at them as a, as a condemned child of Adam. He sees them as being in Christ, and he accepts them on that basis. So as Christians, now when you read all this, as Christians, like sometimes we're like, oh, man, oh, it's so hard. Oh, I don't think I could do this anymore. And we play like this victim card. Have you ever noticed that? Now, you don't see this in a lot of different parts of, of, of other countries and that, but, but man, I find here that a lot of times we will hang our heads in following Jesus. And a lot of times we will act, we will almost take this, this approach, woe is me. And, and, and when I read this, and I, and I see Paul go into praise, and he's praising God for all of these things that the Father has, has sovereignly chose, chosen to give to you and to me, man, I should not be playing a victim. <laughs> I mean, I should be absolutely motivated, and it should be so evident by what comes out of my mouth and the actions of my life that I'm a Jesus follower. It should be undeniable if this is true. And, and, and then in verses 4 through 6, he goes into this, this election and predestination, which the Bible speaks a lot about. And for some of you, are like, oh, what's he going to say here? Right? Like some of you, just the words, like, Ugh. Like you've been programmed, you've, condi- you've been conditioned. Some of you that are new to the church, you go, I don't know what, even what he's talking about. I'm excited to hear this. But f- for a lot of us, this is an incredibly di- uh, divisive topic. So let's walk through this. Let's, let's walk through this from what Paul is saying here, right? Uh, so Paul here is talking about election in relation to salvation. We see election in relation to the nation of Israel. We see election uh, from a vocational standpoint, uh, him choosing uh, the, the priests, right? Uh, choosing the apostles, all those things. But in John, in relation to salvation, John chapter 6 verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now, this whole, the word draws here carries the idea of an irresistible force that was used in ancient Greek literature of a desperately hungry man being drawn to food. Guys, you've never thought of it like that and now it makes complete sense, right? 
<laughs> You're like, yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> because there's times you've been hungry and, and you just found the fridge opening. You don't even know how it happened. You were drawn to what was in there because of you were hungry. He says, but from all eternity, before the foundation of the world, and completely apart from any merit or deserving that any person could have, God chose us in him. By God's sovereign election, those who are saved were placed in eternal union with Christ before creation even took place. Now, our initial response to this should be, that's crazy. Are you kidding? He would do that? Why did he do that? And, 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 and so we should first go, this is, this is crazy, this whole idea before the foundation of time, before creation, and then it should lead us to do what? To worship. This is God's love for you. Now, now let's be honest. There is great mystery in the doctrine of election. Okay, there's great mystery. This speaks about what God was doing before the foundation of the world. It speaks of his eternal purposes and recognizes that he works all things according to the decision of his will. And it is difficult for finite creatures with three-pound fallen brains uh, to comprehend how this doctrine relates to God's love for all people and his impartiality as well as how it relates to human choice, right? If you don't think that, then you're not thinking I'm just telling you, it's mysterious. And, and here's the reality. In so many parts of Scripture, in fact, it, it talks about this, I believe in Deuteronomy 29, about, about the mysteries are God. Like, uh, we need to be okay with mystery sometimes. Because that, that reveals <laughs> that he's God and I'm not. Like, mystery should lead us, when we get to these points where God starts talking about who he is to a degree, to a level that we can't comprehend, it should lead us to worship. We see that God is perfectly loving, eternally sovereign, gracious. God can do whatever he pleases, and whatever he does is always consistent with who he is. This election that Paul is talking about is an expression of God's love for his children, this is an expression of his love. So Paul's saying, in love, in love he predestined us. God's choosing is simply one expression of his eternal control over all things. Notice the language of God's sovereignty. As Paul mentions, predestination, God's good pleasure, God's will, and God's purpose. God's choosing is an expression of his grace to sinners, not because of anything good in us. Man does have a will, okay? A will that scripture clearly recognizes. Apart from God, our will is captive to sin. But we are able to choose God because God has made that choice possible. Jesus said in John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So the frequent commands to the unsaved to respond to the Lord clearly indicate the responsibility of man or woman to exercise their own will. 
Yet the Bible is just as clear that no person receives Jesus Christ as Savior who has not been chosen by God. God. So Jesus, and Jesus gives both truths in one verse. Why does he do that? John 6, 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Then, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. God, what is it? I need to know. It's not that God's sovereign election or predestination eliminates man's choice in faith. Divine sovereignty and human response are integral and inseparable parts of salvation, though exactly how they operate together, only God knows. Someone once asked Charles Spurgeon how he reconciled God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, and he responded, I never reconcile two friends. Someone asked another pastor about this this problem, and he replied, that's not my problem, that's God's problem. And for God, it's not a problem. Just believe both truths and let God harmonize them. See, our invitation should be come to Jesus, and when you come, thank him for drawing you. That's our invitation. We, this conflict, like, it's going to remain. Like, like, listen, you're not the new greatest gift to this earth in theology. Like, this debate has been going on with people who make my, my understanding literally look like that. And, 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 and it's been going on, and here's the reality. It's going to continue to go on. It just will. But we can actually choose to believe both truths completely, and we can actually then choose to let God harmonize them as he, and only as he can. We may not understand this, but we should fully embrace it. We embrace other truths that are mysteriously brought together in a way that seems contradictory, don't we? Like the deity and humanity of Christ, that Jesus is fully human and yet fully God. Oh, that makes sense to me. No. No, it doesn't. Think about this. The divine, so the divine human authorship of Scripture. Okay, so, so divine and human authorship of Scripture, right? <laughs> the Scripture itself is the work of human authors, yet the very words of God. Again, this passage, and let's focus on this passage, right? Because we could go all day, and we're not going to solve all this in 40 minutes. In fact, we're not going to solve this until Jesus comes back. But in this passage, in Ephesians, Paul is primarily focused on God's activity in salvation. Paul's purpose is to praise the God who saves sinners. God not only chose us by himself, but for himself. His primary purpose in electing the church was the praise of his own glory. Uh, Israel, when we looked at, look at them being chosen as God's elect, his, his, like his chosen one, we're, we're told in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8, it says this. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay, so, so he says this to them, that God chose the Jews simply, simply out of his sovereign love to display his love. In relation to the, to the church, in, in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, 
not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So God chose us in order that we might be holy and blameless. Only in Christ are we holy positionally. Without Christ, oh, you are not holy. You are holy. You got gaps in you. Okay? Only in Christ is our blame removed and his righteousness given to us. God sees us as holy as his son is holy if we are in him. To think that God would allow us to have that status is ridiculous. And once again, when you receive that, there is no way that I should play a victim card or that I should do anything outside of respond in worship to that reality. In love, God has chosen us, and this is so powerful, for adoption, for sonship. You, you, you understand that? He could have saved us without adopting us, Right? He didn't have to bring you in to what it talks about here, uh, but he didn't have to bring you into adoption. He didn't have to, to give you this standing. But, but what's crazy about the love of God is that he chose to do both. He chose to not only to save you from the penalty that we all deserved, uh, the penalty of our sins, but, but he also chose to adopt you, to bring you in. He could have totally just saved us and been like, yeah, you're lucky. You should be thankful. But he saves us and then he brings us in to his family. His family. We are a part of the family of God with God as our father. Adopted means they have all the rights and privileges that belong to the father's children. What an incredible thing. Paul uses the word for adoption only five times in the New Testament. And each time it's to those familiar with the Roman context of adoption. Because it was very prevalent uh, throughout Rome. And, and, and it says, now as God's children, we can call him Abba, which is Father. Which is the same thing Jesus cried out to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Romans 8.15, it says... Uh, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What an incredible love. Man, I look at this and I just think, man, uh, of, of times when, when, when I, I've seen this tangibly, it, even in my limited mind capacity, my, my brother, they adopted this little girl whose story was just horrible. What was happening to her was horrible, and they adopted her. And I just, I just think of the life that she now has. And, 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 and literally, uh, her, she is our, she is, she is our family. Like, like, she is in our family. She is one of us. And, 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 and I just think about the tangible expression of love and how this child didn't even know to the extent of the damage done, and yet to be rescued out of that, not only rescued out of that, but then to be given this extension of love, it's incredible, you guys. And, 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 and that's why I, I got to challenge you, when you read these things, don't get caught up in when you, what you don't understand, what you, don't, what you can't comprehend. Get caught up in what Jesus is saying he freely offers you. 
That's where your mind needs to go. The church, like when we look at this, we are, not only is God our father now, but, but here's the reality. And some of us are like, oh man, but we are now brothers and sisters with other Christians. The church is a family of adopted brothers and sisters. So that's how we treat each other now. How does this adoption happen? Only in Christ do we receive these blessings. He goes on to say that God has blessed us in the beloved. Uh, We have been caught up in the love the Father has for the Son. Finally, Paul tells us that we're adopted according to what? His will and his favor. So, So why? Why did God adopt us? Why? I want to make sense of this. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Other than this, it says, it pleased him to do so. He was delighted to adopt you and me. He was delighted to do that. Man, the fact that regardless, like, and, and here's the reality. It says, he did this before creation. In other words, he did this knowing you were going to make some of the decisions you made. Some of the decisions you're currently making. He knew all of this, and yet he still chose to adopt you. Now, now, I look at this and I go, like, regardless of my background, God, regardless of these things, these mistakes, you have said you're going to love me so much that, that, that you are going to, to, to literally uh, single me out as a select choice to be a recipient of your grace, to be given uh, the, the spiritual blessings that are, that are incredible, that are endless in the, in the, in the spiritual, in the heavenly places. And, and you've chosen to do this re- regardless of me? In spite of me? Like, like, listen, nobody else loves you like that. You go, oh, no, you don't. Yeah, sorry. There is limits. <laughs> there just is. Like, like, your boss is not saying this about you. <laughs> your, your parents are not saying this about you. Your kids are not saying this about you. Your spouse is not saying this about you. Your roommates may not. But God does. God does. Verse 6, as that he did it to the praise of his glorious grace. The ultimate reason for everything that exists is the glory of his grace. And that's why 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In other words, this, this, this incredible calling, this incredible gift should be lived out and played out in every area of my life in response to him, in response to what Jesus Christ has done. And and, and we see Paul worshiping here in this passage because God is the initiator of this love to us. God is the initiator of that love. And, and, and some of you, man, that's a very powerful thing that you have experienced. Because there's so many of us in this room that can point to God extending love when we didn't even know what we were really reaching for. We didn't even know fully that, 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 we, were, that we were lost other than our life wasn't making sense. Other than we were miserable. Uh, relationships were falling apart around us. Uh, and, and, but all of a sudden, we, we all, like a life raft that was thrown our way. This, this incredible grace, this love that, that, that God decided to be the instigator of, the one that initiates to you and to me 
so that we now have this, this, this opportunity to reach out and to take that life raft. And, and not only does he save us, uh, not only does he say, you're welcome, but then he adopts us into his forever family. And we look at this, and, 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 and man, I, I don't know about you, but I need to live out what he's given to me. Like, I need to live this out. And, and if you're a Jesus follower, here's the other reality. He's already given you enough. Like, you have enough. Don't allow what you look at as, oh, I can't, I can't go this far, or I'm, I'm only this smart, I only know this much, or I'm only this committed, I think. All that, like, like, stop building limitations that do not reflect what God says he's already given you. He's already given you more than enough. And here's my question for some of you. Will you allow him to be father? Will you just receive? Right? Because, man, like, he adopts us in, but then all of a sudden, I am making decisions, and sometimes the decisions I'm making do not communicate that he is my father anymore. And so my question is, will I allow him to be father of my life? Will, will, I'll, uh, will I allow him, for some of us, will I allow him to welcome me just as we see the father welcome the prodigal son? And, the, and, and, and that's such a hard reality to grasp. It really is. That he would want to welcome me like that. That he could look beyond and in spite of all these things that I've done and that I've said and still want to welcome, we, welcome me with open arms and, and be that extension of love and grace and embrace me. Uh, what, a, what a powerful, powerful thing. And, and here's the reality. If you've never received that, if you've never declared Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, maybe right now he's saying, hey, I'm calling you. I wanted you to be here to hear this. Isn't it just random how there's been certain things that we've randomly been or randomly heard that have led us to God? God initiates this incredible love to you, and maybe he's drawing you unto himself right now. And I would just say this, surrender. Surrender to him. If you've never made that decision, surrender to him. You know, we have, we have baptisms next week. And baptism is a public declaration, a public expression that I am a Jesus follower. That I have made that decision to put my faith, my hope, and my trust in Jesus. And it's, it's that picture that, that, that we have from, from death to life. And, and the reality is, is this, that, that we were hopelessly lost. And yet Jesus came. And because, as Ephesians says, we can be in Christ now, through Christ, we can be heirs. We are adopted into sonship by, by the eternal heavenly Father, who in spite of how we may view our earthly father, our heavenly father is good by nature. He is the only good. And he is perfect. 
and he is just, and he can never do anything that is outside of his nature, outside of his character. And, and you can literally then freely worship him, praise him, and move forward, and then be a public expression of his glorious grace that he has generously given to you. And so with that, this means this. You have incredible purpose. There is no person that says, I follow Jesus, that should be going, I don't have a purpose. I'm just random. No, no, no. When you read these verses, you literally see that you have incredible purpose. In fact, so much purpose. In fact, there is such a plan for your life that it says God intentionally, before he created all of this, thought of you and thought of, of, of literally what he was going to do with you. That's insane. Right? Like, like some of us, we've had a child, like we did, and we weren't planning to have that child. We just weren't. And God blessed us. It's a blessing now. Uh, <laughs> at first it was like, uh, um, but it's a blessing. We did not plan that. And we're like building the plane as it's already in the air. God never did that with you. You did not surprise him. You did not come out of nowhere. He didn't ever think, what am I going to do with you? How do I handle? No, 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 no. Before he created all of these things, he had already decided, I am going to freely offer you this incredible redemption, and I'm going to hand select you to be a glorious expression of my grace. And I'm going to adopt you. Man, we better worship out of I mean, there's no other option. You just worship him. And if you've never responded to him, I plead with you to respond to this incredible calling, this incredible invitation. Let's pray.